Presented by Home Advisor. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. We are here to help you make your home the best it can possibly be. If you've got questions about projects you'd like to take on, if you'd like to improve your home or maybe cut down on your cooling costs or find some ways to decorate the space, because you know that even though it's still the dog days of summer, there's a long, cold winter ahead. So we want to make sure that those four walls, those floors, those ceilings look as good as they can possibly be. Hey, what I'm saying is whatever's on your to-do list, slide it over to ours and give us a call. We'd love to talk about your project. The number here is... Is one eight 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 Money Pit eight 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 six 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 three nine seven four. Okay, so thinking of or speaking, I should say, of decor. If you decide to bring home a family pet, there can be many many changes. But your home decor doesn't have to be one of them. So if you're pondering any decorating or improvement projects, we're going to have some tips on how you can make them pet friendly coming up. And whether it's around your sink or between your tub, shower, and tile walls, nasty, worn-out, just gross-looking caulk has got to go. So we've got some DIY tips on how you can get this job done the easy way. Plus, one way to uh, give your home a new look is to change up the lighting plan. We're going to have tips on one particular type of lighting that's really popular pendant lights. We're going to talk to you about how you can save some energy with those and how you can get them installed in your kitchen or any other space you'd like. But first, we want to know what you are working on. Perhaps you're getting things ready for a small, socially distanced backyard gathering for Labor Day, or you're looking to finish up an outdoor project before the summer season's over. Whatever it is, we are here to lend a hand. So give us a call. 888 Pit. we're standing by. 888-666-3974. And Leslie, look at that. You invited folks to call, and they did just that. Let's get to some Woo-hoo. of those people. The number here again, 888 Pit. Who's first? Well, if you're looking to gain some extra space at home, perhaps look no further than your basement. Kelly's thinking about doing some projects in the basement. How can we help? Hi. So we are moving downstairs because we've got another little kiddo on the way and we've got two bedrooms. And so our we're turning our basement into, you know, two bedrooms and a bedroom for us. But the problem is, is when we walk on the floor upstairs or do anything upstairs, it sounds like drums downstairs. <laughs> okay. And we can hear every, every little noise. And every, I know everything, you can't yeah. Sound, yeah, you, I know you can't soundproof, but is there a way to buffer? There are actually a number of different manufacturers that make a special type of, of sound-resistant drywall. It's designed with a barrier in it that helps to absorb some of the sound waves. One is called Quiet Rock, and that is probably the oldest one that we're familiar with. But there's also one out from Certainty that's called Silent FX. And, uh, and then National Gypsum has one called Sound Brick. They all work pretty much the same way. The one thing I would caution you about, though, Kelly, is it's not just the drywall surface, right? If you're going to try to soundproof, you have to remember that anything that pierces that drywall has to be made sound resistant as well. So for example, if you have electric wires that come through or you have ducts that come through, um, you have to get soundproofing material behind those spaces. And there are special types of uh, soundproofing um, 
it's sort of like, a, I'm going to say it's like a putty. It comes in a sheet, and I've seen it installed, and it kind of wraps behind the electrical box, for example, and tries to really create a continuous surface that's sound resistant. So that plus insulating that floor before you put the drywall up will also help to buffer it a little bit. It's not going to be as quiet as like a studio, you know, that we work in, but it will make a difference. And then upstairs, if you've got uh, hardwood floors or, or a, a solid surface floor like we, that. Yeah, we do. We have hardwood yeah, floors. Yeah, and area rugs. <laughs> that's all we can tell you. Yeah, exactly. All right, Kelly. Okay. Thank you so much. That really helped. All right. Good luck with the project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEY-PIT. You know, Kelly wants to keep the noise from upstairs going down. Usually it's the it's you put the kids in the basement, and they make a racket, and you want to try to keep that noise from coming up. But either way, same rules apply. Now we've got Bill in Pennsylvania on the line. What's going on at your money pit? Yeah, I have got a, uh, a second-story deck that uh, just had refinished. And I had some problems before with SAP, and it doesn't seem like uh, the refinishing solved that issue. And I was wondering, is there anything that I can do, or do I have to replace boards? So what uh, type of finish was applied to the deck? Well, it was, it was uh, pressure-treated, or I'm sorry, it was power-steamed off, power and washed. then it was sealed. And then it was after it was sealed, then it was uh, a, a finish applied to it. So what kind of finish was it? Was it an acrylic finish? Like a, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Exactly, so yeah. what we have found is that you know water-based finishes really don't have the strength to seal in sap that's coming out of knots and other places in the wood. It's kind of an exercise of futility because you're always going to be seeing that happen. What what would have been more effective, although I'm not going to tell you it's 100%, would have been if those surfaces were primed first, probably would have wanted tinted it to match the color of the finished stain. And then you could have used a solid color stain on top of that. The stain itself doesn't have to be oil-based, but the primer does. And that's would have done as good a job as possible of sealing in those uh, sappy areas. I mean, if it's any relief to you, that will get less over the years. But I know that it's annoying until it settles down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it does. Now, would I be able to, like, uh, after a period of time, you know, like, sand it and then refinish it with the same finish? Would that lessen it for a while? Or? Yeah, you could do that. Just remember that when you sand it down, the spot prime in that case, just reprime that area and then put the solid color stain over it. And don't use semi-transparent. It's not going to look as good. And the solid color is not paint. It still shows the green. Right. But um, it's, it's not going to have any variation, and that's what you want in this case. Okay. Oh, great. Well, thank you. I'll uh, try that. Thanks. Good luck with that project. Thanks for calling us at 188 Pit. All right, now we've got Lorena in Maryland on the line who's got a question about carpenter bees. I know they seem scary because they're gigantic, but what's going on? They do try to scare you, but I don't think they sting because they buzz around your head and all and try to scare you away from their nest. I would really like to understand their life cycle. Now, I have some carpenter bees and some mason bees, and they were fighting with each other at the front (laughs) of my house. They're, They're eating up. They're eating up the front of my house. I had like yeah. six shutters there, yeah. and they were attracted to the shutters. They went behind yeah. the shutters, and they drilled, like, behind each shutter, there's about two dozen holes where yeah. the carpenter bees dug yeah. their holes. But yeah. on the back of the shutters, there were the mason 
you know, the masonite tubes, too. <laughs> right, oh, the uh, mud wasps. You mean the mud wasps. Yeah, so two completely competitive uh, species there. And, and yes, um, what the carpenter bees are doing is they're drilling holes, and then in the bottom of those holes is where they plant their eggs. So that's their reproductive cycle, basically. They drill those holes, and they plant their eggs in the bottom of them, and that's basically a nest that they're building right there. What do they eat? Do they put uh, in- dead insects in the holes for their larvae to eat, or what? No, I'm not. I don't. I don't think so. But but they you can always tell when they're working because you'll actually see a stream of sawdust coming out of those holes. You do if it's vertical, you know, like on a piece of fascia or wood trim or something like that. Uh, but the way that uh, we always recommend that you avoid that, and it depends on what they're eating. Uh, if they're eating wood trim, you can replace that with a uh, Azec product, which looks like wood, but it's made out of PVC. I got rid of them on my garage by doing that, just changing the fascia out in the front uh, and the back. Or you could have them sprayed by a pesticide applicator, by an exterminator, and that will stop them from, from coming back as well. But I think it was funny in my case, when we replaced the wood trim with the uh, PVC trim, the carpenter bees for a while uh, came back and sort of swirled around and swarmed around and were trying to find something to eat. They were very confused because I imagine they're thinking, looks like wood, doesn't taste like wood. <laughs> so that's what you're dealing with there. The carpenter bees, you're right, they don't sting. They will sort of fly at you and try to like freak you out a bit, but but they can't bite you. And, but you don't recommend against filling the holes in? because My I'm suggestion wondering. is that you wait until the fall and not fill the holes in right now, because if you do, they're still going to try to come back and get in there, uh, and they may get more aggressive and, uh, you know, start flying into your face. But I would wait till the fall to sort of after the season, and I would fill everything in, paint it, and then you can wait to next season and see what happens. Thanks so much for calling us at one eight 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 money pit Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get socked with allergens too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-Pro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. 
and its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. MONEYPIT. Well, if you're a pet lover and you're considering a new decorating or even a remodeling project, you probably already know that not all of these home improvements work very well with pets. Now, what am I talking about? I mean, like, say you're getting a new rug. You might not want to spend a tremendous amount of money on a really high-end rug if you've got dogs and cats and they're more prone to scratch it or have an accident and mess it up. you got to think about that where you want to figure in durability. Durability in pets, you got to look at that. Absolutely. Now, if you've got pets, easy cleanup floors are really key. So we're talking about floors like laminate, engineered hardwood, engineered vinyl plank, luxury vinyl plank, and then the tile versions of these same sort of wood-styled floors are cool. So you can get porcelain tile or ceramic flooring that looks like wood planking. These are all really hard surfaces. They're easier to keep clean and to keep them stain-free than a rug or carpet. So out with the carpets or rugs and in with the hard surface flooring. Now, if you do want to have, you know, some softness of the floors, just use area rugs. They're much easier to clean. That's very true. Or even those carpet tiles where you can replace, you know, a piece of it should something get damaged. Now, when it comes to getting the right sofa or any other furniture for your pet-friendly home, there are all sorts of options to choose from. Now, depending on the type of dog you have, you might be dealing with one that sheds a lot of hair, and that can be hard for you to clean up, especially if that pet loves to hang out on the sofa or sit in all your seating. So that's going to be trouble. So when you're going to redecorate and change things up on the furniture front, be careful careful with what types of fabrics you do bring into your space. Now, fabric options that are easier to clean up than other types include denim, canvas, durable synthetics. Also, make sure you're looking at the weave pattern on the fabrics. You want to make sure I kind of usually rub my nail across the fabric just to see if I can catch it on anything or pull a thread. Because if I can do it with my nails, then a dog or a cat for sure can do it and they can do it tenfold. So don't get something that's going to easily pull or get marked up from your pet's claws, even though they don't mean it. Now, you can also find options that are resistant to odors, stains, moisture. All of that is going to make that piece of fabric and furniture ideal with a dog or a cat in your life. Hey, if you'd like some more tips on how you can have a pet-friendly household when it comes to decor and design, check out pet-friendly design and decorating tips for your home on moneypit.com. All right, Kay's on the line now, and she needs some help painting a door. Kay, tell us about your project. Yeah, and I listen to you every week you're on. Well, thank you so much. I wanted to paint my uh, wood door. It's a very old wood door, and um, we lived here since 69, and um, I'm trying to keep it original. It's red now. Okay. Uh, My husband painted it uh, only one coat. 
and I think it was blue. Okay. It needs another coat to make it real red, but I want to paint it white. Well, I mean, the color is a personal preference, so uh, to paint this door, the best thing to do is to take it off of the hinges and lay it flat on a couple of sawhorses, and then you want to sand the old surface. Uh, you want to make sure you get rid of any flaking paint, any cracked paint, because you can't put good paint over bad paint. you got to get all that stuff off. It's not cracking or anything. It's smooth as can be. All right, so then he, he must have done a great job when he painted it last time. He did. He sanded it down to um, the wood. It was all, you know, original wood, so it's really smooth. That's why I wasn't sure, and I don't know if I can get the paint off, like, you know, if you, and I didn't want to scrape it. Well, I don't think you have to take all the old paint off. If it's adhering well, then you're good to go on it. So sand it down, and then I would recommend that you put a coat of primer on, because this will make sure that the new paint adheres as well as the old paint did. Primer's kind of the glue that makes the paint stick, so put the primer on. Well, kills work, because i got to get on a kill. And It'll work fine. Yep. You put the kills on, let it dry, and then you could put your top coat on that. To sand it. What do I have to do? Knock the sheen off? Yeah, knock the sheen off. Exactly right. You don't have to sand it down to the raw wood, but you have to you know, get that sheen off. So a medium grit, like 100, 100 grit sandpaper would work really well, okay? Okay. Michelle in Minnesota is on the line with a bathroom floor thing is all I can call it. What is going on? You're getting moisture coming up through the floor? Yes, it's a laminate floor. This is my third summer in this house, and it's the first time that I've had this issue. And it was started around the warm and humid days. Um, At first, I thought maybe that it was my toilet leaking because I had a new toilet put in last summer. Um, But the plumber did come out and pull the toilet, and it didn't look like it was leaking or that the seal was broken on it. So we're thinking that it's condensation from the concrete slab coming up between the the slats of the laminate flooring. So the laminate flooring is on top of a concrete slab. Correct. Yep. What's this looking? What's this doing to the floor? Is it causing it to deform in any way, or is it just showing up as a stain? It is not. Um, it is not buckling or anything along the edges. It's. Okay. He thinks that maybe it's a rubber flooring, more of a rubber-based flooring rather than a wood. Um, and so it has not um, curled the edges or anything like that. It just seeps up as moisture, and it comes like um, beads up right along the edges of the the laminate. Do you have air conditioning in this bathroom? I do not. Uh-uh. Nope. Yeah, I was thinking cooler moist air against a warmer floor could cause additional condensation. So, look, if you want to reduce the moisture that's coming up through the bathroom, there's a couple of things I can suggest. Um, first of all, you want to take a look at the grading and the drainage conditions outside that bathroom because the slab, if it's getting very wet, is extremely hydroscopic. So all the moisture in the earth will be drawn into the slab, and that's going to wick up and show up in your bathroom, apparently. So take a look at your gutters and downspouts. Make sure they're clean and free-flowing and the the spouts are extending four to six feet from the house. Get all that roof water away. And then take a look at the angle of the soil and make sure that that's sloping away. Now, do you have a, a fan in this bathroom? Yes. That is helpful. Um, you might want to think about replacing the fan with one that's that has a built-in humidistat because that's convenient on a couple of fronts. First of all, when you take a shower and you, and you leave the bathroom, turn the switch off, it'll actually stay on until all the moisture is properly vented out of there. 
And if it does get humid on its own, then the humidistat will kick kick the fan on and also dry it out. They're not terribly expensive. I know Brone makes a good one. There are a number of manufacturers you can find this from. And keep an eye on the floor. Some laminate floors, you know, stand up very well to moisture. I've seen laminate floors are going to be submerged and they, they don't seem to be affected by it, but others will buckle just like hardwood would. So just keep an eye on it. And if it ends up that it does have to be replaced, I would paint that cement slab underneath with a couple of coats of epoxy paint to kind of seal in and stop the, um, the moisture from evaporating through it in the room. Mm-hmm. Okay. But only if, you, only if you get that far. I mean, I wouldn't tell you to tear up the floor now, but if you have to replace it, just make sure you seal the slab at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, thank you. That, that's good. Good. Thanks. All right, good luck. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Brian in Washington, you've got the Money Pit. How can we help you today? Last summer, I repainted the exterior of my house, and I used quite a few nails to kind of shore up some different things. I also fixed a window. And uh, after I repainted, I used galvanized nails, but this year I already have a lot of bleeding of rust from the nails coming through. So I I also did some caulking between the the pieces of wood, and that seems to be peeling out already. So I was just wondering if there was something that I could, you know, go over the heads of the nails with, something quick, something that I didn't have to redo the whole side of the house. When you did the side of the house last summer, did you prime it, or did you just put the paint over the old paint? Um, lots of primer. Lots of primer? Yeah. What kind of primer? Like, a, was it a latex primer or oil primer? What was it? Uh, gosh, I don't know that. I didn't buy the paint, but uh, we put it. But you did prime. You primed over those nail heads? Yes, we did. Yes. And it's coming through. Because generally, well, you say you use galvanized, so that's good. Was this cedar um, siding? No. It's just... Um, Conventional, horizontal. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, it seems like the the nails, the galvanized coating on the nails didn't really stand up very well. But generally, the advice is this. When you finish nailing off that, you need to spot prime those nail heads. But if you're telling me you already spot primed them and the the stain's coming right through, then um, I'm not really sure that we have any other suggestions for you. There are differences in the quality of primers. Um, I would always recommend an oil-based primer over a latex primer when it has a stain issue to deal with because it tends to seal it in better. So that's the only additional thing you might want to try is to sand those down to the heads and then touch them up with an oil-based primer and paint them again. All right. I guess that answers my question. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, you've seen the signs of aging old nasty caulk, we're sure, like that brown tinge and the cracks in the openings and make way for all the stubborn colonies of mildew to take hold or for water to seep in and make the walls kind of mushy. Well, whether that caulk is around your sink or between a tub and its tile surround or covering the joints of your shower stall, that worn caulk has got to go. So the first question is, what kind of caulk is best to replace it with? 
Well, for this project, there really are two types of caulk. Now, the best caulk for tubs, sinks, even shower stalls comes in a tube, and it's labeled tub and tile or kitchen and bath. Now, these are either acrylic latex or silicone compounds that have been chemically tweaked to resist mildew and then also to stick to smooth, non-porous surfaces, but they have distinctly different personalities. Now, if you're going to work with a silicone caulk, you're going to find that it holds well, it's waterproof, it's very flexible, and this type of caulk is also finicky about surface conditions. It's difficult to get that smooth appearance for finishing, and it requires mineral spirits to clean up any messes you make, like on your hands or on anywhere else in the bathroom. Now, an acrylic latex caulk is much more forgiving about the type and cleanliness of a surface that you're applying it to. It's super easy to smooth, and it cleans up with water, and it doesn't really have much of a smell. While it does shrink a little bit more and dry harder than the silicone option, and you might need to actually replace it a little bit sooner than a silicone option, the replacement job should go much faster. Thus, when you have to do it again, you'll already be a pro. I totally agree. Even though silicone is technically more durable than acrylic latex, I go with acrylic latex every time. It's just so much easier to control. And that means I got to replace that caulk in, you know, maybe three years instead of five years. I'm okay with that. Now, once you've selected your caulk, it's time to get to work. And the first step, of course, is to completely remove all of the old caulk. If you've got some caulk that's really hard to get out, there's a type of product called a caulk softener, kind of like a paint remover. It will soften the old caulk and allow you to get all of it out there because you've got to start fresh with a clean, smooth, and dry surface. Now, if uh, you have not used a caulking gun before and maybe you're a little shaky with it, it does make sense to use masking tape to kind of mask off the area below and above the seam you're going to caulk because it helps you have nice, clean, straight lines. And before you apply that caulk, we always recommend filling the tub with water because it makes the tub settle down and leave that water in the tub while you apply the caulk. Now, if you've used the acrylic latex caulk, you'll be able to smooth that out with a sponge, with a caulk trowel, which is a cool little tool to have, by the way, that's perfectly shaped. Or you can use my favorite caulking tool, which is my index finger. Well, not my (laughs) finger, but you get the idea. (laughs) It's perfectly shaped for that caulk bead. Now, once uh, the caulk has dried, then you let the water out of the tub, and the tub will come back up and help compress that caulk. It won't pull out nearly as quickly. And you want to wait about 24 hours before you use that shower or bath if you can help it because we want that caulk to dry good and solid, especially if it's a very thick application. Sometimes if you have a gap between the tile and the tub, you're really putting quite a bit in there. And uh, after you're uh, done, before you pull that masking tape off, take a good look. Get down so at an eye level with the caulk because sometimes it settles downwards and it'll form a little gap right above it. If that's the case, you can easily patch it at that point and avoid water finding its way behind it, which is one of the reasons that it gets moldy. Now we've got Eleanor in Virginia on the line with a decking question. How can we help you today? The question I have is we have uh, Trek decking on our for our deck, which is and also the porch, screened in porch. But on the deck, uh, which is not uh, covered by any uh, roof or anything like that, it's all open uh, to the environment, we have um, spots on that which are, it's a gray color decking, and we have these dark spots all over it, uh, almost kind of look like a mold, uh, and we do not know what it's caused by. My husband has tried to use a uh, power washer with the soap that is recommended for that power washer, also bleach with a scrub brush. 
Um, he has he can get it lightened, but not totally gone. And we're wondering if there's if you've ever heard of that with Trek decking and have any suggestions. Yeah, I mean some of the composite materials out there do have some wood fiber component, and they will grow algae, which is most likely what you're seeing. Now, one of the treatments that we would recommend is a product called Jomax, J-O-M-A-X. And Jomax actually has a deck wash. And Jomax is uh, a detergent that also gets mixed with bleach, gets applied to the deck, you let it sit for 15 to 20 minutes, and then you scrub it off. The pr- I would be very careful with the power washer, except for just rinsing purposes, because too much pressure can actually ruin that deck. Now, another possibility is that those black spots are what's called artillery fungus. They kind of looks like a shotgun, kind of a pellet size. Artillery fungus is particularly difficult to get off, and one of the sources of it is mulch. Do you have mulch around your house, around your yard? Yes. Well, sometimes the the mulch that's sort of the uh, the ground mulch, the shredded bark mulch, will contain artillery fungus. And once that gets out and attaches to surfaces like decks or sometimes even cars, it's really, really difficult to get rid of it. So if that is what's going on, you, we would recommend that you don't do that again. Don't put the shredded mulch back on. Only use the bark mulch that's in pieces. That seems to not have the issue. It's the shredded mulch that attracts and contains artillery fungus. I would try the Jomax deck wash and cleaner. I think you'll have better success with that than you did with straight bleach, okay? Yes. All right, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Pit. You know when the worst time is for your air conditioning to kick out if you're the money pit? When you're ready to record your mid-August show and have no air conditioning in the studio. It's really, (laughs) really a bad thing to happen. That's what happened to us. You know, we have a studio that we work with and have for many, many years, and the AC went out when we were about to record this program. And so... We did what we preached. We called HomeAdvisor.com. We got out an expert from an HVAC company, uh, and he spent a couple of hours at the property, and he found out that some mice had gotten into some electrical wiring and ate their way through some cables. Got it fixed. Got the AC back on. Took all of about two hours. The charge was under 150 bucks. So you can't beat that kind of expert service, and that's why we recommend the pros at Home Advisor. and just want to give them a shout-out for one more job well done. Craig in Pennsylvania is on the line with a flooring question. How can we help you today? I had an exterior concrete porch, and I enclosed it, and I'm trying to make it part of the uh, house now. But the floor itself, I said it's concrete, it's all cracked, and it's breaking up. Is there some easy way or some way I can... um, smooth it out or do something with it to make it look like an interior room now because it is part of the house. Absolutely. Um, First of all, if the surface is deteriorated, you're going to have to use a patching compound on it. And I would recommend the Premix Quickcrete Concrete Patch Compound. Uh, It comes in a tub and you simply apply it to the surface. You can fill in all of those areas that are deteriorated. You can fill fill over the cracks. And the reason using a patching compound is because it's designed specifically to stick to the concrete. If you use regular concrete, you're going to have a problem with that because it won't stick. It'll just split off again. All right, but if you use a concrete patching compound, it will adhere. Thank you very much. I appreciate your help. All right, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. 
Well, if you'd like an easy weekend update, adding new pendant lighting can definitely be the project that does just that. Now, pendant lights, they're sleek and they can add style and drama to your lighting specs in a room. And if you're swapping out an old fixture, this can be an electrical project that you can do by yourself. But if your existing wires are brittle or maybe you need to run electricity to a new spot, it really is best to call an electrician for a job like that. Now, the cool thing about pendant lighting and what makes it so unique is that it's suspended from the ceiling and it brings the light down to where you need it. There's a wide variety of shapes and sizes and styles, you know, ranging from like a four inch diameter, a little mini cylinder to like massive 30 inch drones. But they're really a beautiful design. Yeah. And I think it's important to understand that a pendant is really just a light fixture hanging from a single point. And so it can be something that looks cute, like a mini chandelier. I mean, it's a wide variety of types of fixtures. So there's definitely something out there and they can be very affordable to buy and to run. I mean, you'll see there are dozens of individual and lighting kits available on Amazon starting around 25 bucks and these all use LED bulbs so they're not going to drive up your electrical cost. Now, you can use them to light up a workspace, maybe like your kitchen island prep area or a desk in a home office. And then they also cast a really nice warm glow. So if you want to use them in a dining room or an entryway or in a bathroom, you get that more relaxed lighting as well. Now, when it comes to the switch itself, dimmers are really popular for pendants. They allow you to adjust the light in the evening, and they can also create some very attractive patterns. So just some reasons why we love pendant lights, and you might want to consider them for your home. We've got a post here from Jacqueline in Chicago who's asking, I'd like to buy a pressure washer for my deck, but I'm nervous that I might damage the wood. I found washers with different types of nozzles, but should I be looking for an adjustable PSI? And what do I need to know about adjusting the pressure for different surfaces? Is that a thing? I don't feel like I can adjust the PSI on my pressure washer. No, no. That's one thing you don't have to adjust. It and the reason you don't have to adjust the PSI. it. That's the size you pick, correct? Yes. And the nozzle does the adjustment for you. So you change out the nozzles. So like, for example, I've got a Greenworks pressure washer that I love. I've got about four different nozzles for it. Uh, one is designed for washing the car. So that's like the gentlest. And there's another one that's a little bit more aggressive for like outside woodwork, like a fence. And then it goes up to the most aggressive, which you might use to, I don't know, strip paint off a of concrete or something. or strip. Paint. I've used it to strip paint off of old radiators. It's been so strong for me. So you have the control of the nozzle, and that's really what you want to look for. So um, I would recommend a pressure washer for this time of year because there are going to be a lot of cleaning projects you're going to do coming up in the fall. They're fast. They're effective cleaning tools. They can easily remove you know, dirt and grime from a home's exterior. They're great for cleaning cars and boats and patio furniture and decks and docks and even sidewalks. I did my mom's sidewalk for her um, a few months ago because it had gotten quite sort of dark. And, it's uh, man, the most what, satisfying job. What a difference. You can see it's like, you know, it, it was like sort of a charcoal gray next to a bright white when it's I was amazing. done. I mean, I did the concrete in the backyard and the driveway, like, I don't know, at some point over the summer, but it's just the most satisfying project. It takes a while, but it's satisfying. It, it is. I had a little fun with mom, too. I, I wrote with the pressure washer in the black muck that Tom was here and told her I ran out of time and come back in a couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, I think that's a great a tool, but you don't have to worry so much about pressures. Just look at the nozzles. Take a look at the line from Greenworks. They really make a, a great product. All right. Next up, we've got a post here from Aaron in New York City who writes, The wallpaper in my kitchen and bathroom is 26 years old. I would like to get rid of it, but I'm dreading taking it all down. Can I paint over the old wallpaper? It's in relatively good shape, and it's only curling in one small spot near a baseboard. 
I don't know. I feel like you're putting off the inevitable, and it really looks tacky to paint over wallpaper. I, I just feel like you can always see it. Yeah. Like, even if there's not a drop of texture to that paper, you'll notice a seam. You'll notice a something. And then I just, I, I don't like the look of it. I just think it's, you know, it's such a bad shortcut. And then when you want to go take the paper down, you're dealing with this layer of latex over the paper that now you have to permeate to get behind the paper, to steam the glue, to get it all. It just makes it worse. It is so much harder when there's paint on the paper to get that wallpaper down. If you are concerned about the difficulty of the project, you just mentioned it. Leslie, rent a steamer. Gosh, it's not that expensive, and the wallpaper steamers make quick work of that. You know, look, it's more labor-intensive than other home improvement projects, but it's not impossible. And once you get all of that uh, wallpaper off the walls, make sure there's no uh, of the old, none of the old sizing left. You know, get all that stuff scraped off. Then I want you to prime that wall, and I would use a, a solvent-based primer. I wouldn't use an acrylic primer. I use a good solid-based primer. Why? Because it has the best adhesion. And then once it's primed, you can use latex paint on top of that. And I think you'll get a much better job. And I would always make sure that I'm using flat paint because you are going to have some texture on that wall, even if you did a really good job pulling off the old paper. You just never get it all off. But if you use flat paint, you won't see it as much because it won't reflect in the light. All right. Good luck with that project, Aaron. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. Thanks so much for spending a little time with us. Hey, if you've got questions, if you didn't get through today, you can reach us 24-7 at 888 Money Pit or post your question to the Money Pit's website at moneypit.com. Whatever is on your to-do list, you can always slide it over to ours by doing just that. Until then, I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. Live in a body pit.